0: Good morning. Welcome to River Rock Bible Church. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning. Uh, how many of you know what was celebrated or recognized this past Monday? Anybody? Martin Luther King Day? Yeah, absolutely. But did you also know that the third Monday in January has been recognized by researchers as the most depressing day of the year? They've started calling it Blue Monday. And there's a number of reasons why they call it Blue Monday and why the third Monday in January is so depressing. Some of it has to do with the weather, the fact that the days are still kind of short. They've been short for some time now. And if you're anything like my wife, you're ready for the warm weather to come back, the nice long days. Uh, and, and so when it's dark when you leave for work and it's dark when you get home from work, it's a little bit depressing. Uh, the other part of that is that all of our bills from Christmas have come in. And we're realizing how much we actually spent on Christmas, and so we're a little bit depressed at what we now have to pay back. But there's one other reason why they say that the third Monday in January is the most depressing day of the year, and I think this is probably the biggest part of it. It's that three weeks have gone by since you made all your New Year's resolutions, and you're just realizing that you've not kept a single one of them. Am I the only one in that boat? Anybody else that's there? All right, thank you. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but sometimes my New Year's resolutions are, are tied to um, my walk with God. And almost every year, it seems like, I set the, the goal for myself to be in the Word more, to be spending time uh, reading and praying more. And inevitably, it doesn't take long before that time starts to taper, because other things start to take over. And um, the booklets that you have just received are going to take us through uh, the series in Mark, and this is a little booklet that uh, it's it's got a reading plan in there. If you open it up, you see the cover it says Mark for the book of Mark because we're beginning a new series in here. There's a short overview of the Bible and some introductory notes on on one of the pages there. And then as you open it up, you'll see that there's a reading plan day by day. It's going to walk you through what to read and. Uh, uh, one of the reasons that we're doing this is because I firmly believe that you can have as much of God as you want, but you only have as little as you are satisfied with. You can have as much of God as you would like, but you are only going to have as much as, as little as you are satisfied with, and we don't want anyone to be satisfied with just a little, and so we are going to kind of take a New Year's resolution. Three weeks into the New Year, we're going to make a resolution together, and here's the challenge. The challenge is this. Spend five minutes of day in Scripture, and five minutes a day in prayer. Ten minutes of your day. Doesn't matter if it's in the morning or in the evening, just ten minutes a day, and we're going to do it together. We're all going to be reading the same passages. We're all going to be studying the same Scripture, and we're all going to be talking about it together. So if you stick with this reading plan, by the end of our series in Mark, you will have read through the entire book of Mark. You will have read through a number of Psalms in almost... A little bit more than halfway through the book of Proverbs. That's quite a bit of reading. That's more than most people do in a year. We're going to do it throughout one series in the book of Mark. So um, it won't take you more than five minutes. These passages are pretty short. Uh, We've kept them short for a reason. We really want you to be diving in, engaging with the Word of God, uh, and just really encourage you to make this a priority. This series is going to last um, a number of weeks, and we'll be in it, and just really encourage you to, to dive in, engage with the Word of God, spend some time in prayer, um, there's, it's, it'll guide you through that whole 10 minutes, this little booklet will, and I do believe that uh, if we will do this as a body, as a family, that we will begin to see changes taking place, not just in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us. Um, This is so important. So I really want to challenge us to do this uh, over the next couple of weeks. Now, if you miss a day, if there comes a day when you just, you get up late, you're running late for work, you get home, you've got somewhere to go, you miss a day, don't worry about it. Just get back on track. There's no condemnation. We are a church that believes firmly in grace, and we will extend that grace to you. Um, Just get back on track. Dive in the next day. But be engaging in the Word of God daily. That's my encouragement. That's our challenge. Five minutes a day in prayer, five minutes a day, studying the scripture. Can I get just a show of hands? Who's going to say right now? I'll commit to that right now. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Let's do it together. Here's the other thing that I want to encourage you. You'll notice at the very, very back, there's a little space here, a couple pages. We've already got started for you uh, for journaling. They're blank. Just write some thoughts down. I really encourage you to journal. I know in my own life, uh, I have... A really short memory. I have a really bad memory about the things that are taking place, uh, the things that God is doing in my life. Um, In fact, there was a commercial I saw recently where this wife is looking for her keys throughout the whole house, and she's asking the husband, have you seen my keys? And he opens the refrigerator, and the keys are in there. Well, it's a commercial for Alzheimer's. I was like, Man, I think I have Alzheimer's. Uh, please tell me I'm not the only one who's gone to their car and like torn the car apart looking for sunglasses only to realize they're on your head. Um, or my favorite was I've, I've gone throughout the house and like, kids, where did you take daddy's keys? Where are daddy's keys? Honey, have you seen my key? keys that are in my hand, all right, you know, and they're in my hand the whole time that I'm looking for them. We have short memories, and so journaling is just a way for us to take a look back at what God has done in our lives and what God may be teaching us. If you're keeping a journal, I know for me, I've kept one uh, for about the last 15 years of my life. I've kept a journal of my, my daily readings and prayer times and just what God is showing me, and just in the past two years, I was challenged by another pastor to, once a month, pull out my journal... And look back over the last month and see what themes are emerging. Like, is there something that God is trying to teach me here throughout these passages that I'm reading? Um, It's also a way to look back and say, you know what? I've been struggling with this same feeling, the same thought for the last six weeks. Maybe I need to pay a little bit more attention to what God is saying to me. Or maybe I need to seek some help from someone else. It's a, it's a way to look back at answered prayers and remember that, oh wow, when I was praying for this, when I was praying, I didn't even know what I was praying for, but I, I knew I was praying for something and then I see the answer here. And it's only when we journal that we're able to take that look back and really see the bigger picture of everything that God is doing. So I really encourage you to be in that. Men, don't worry; you don't have to start out your journal entries with Dear Diary. That's not what I'm talking about here. Just write down one thought, one major thing that, hey, what is God saying to me today? Um, and that'll be something great to share sometime. Um, you know, I hope that one day when I'm gone, my kids find all my journals and they read. Uh, the prayers that I've prayed for them and the things that I've said about them and asked God for, for uh, him to do in their lives. To me, that's kind of exciting to think about. Um, so I want to encourage you to journal, and I want to encourage you to be engaged by talking about what you're reading and what you're hearing in the series uh, with to the people around you. I really encourage you to start with your family, especially if you have kids. Um, take some time at the dinner table once a week, twice a week, and just talk about maybe what you're reading, what you're studying, and what God is saying to you, and how that might relate to them. Maybe it means you grab an extra book and you take it to someone at work and say, hey, let's go through this together. Let's go through this uh, together, and we'll, we'll meet together once a week on our lunch break, and we'll talk about what God is showing to us through his word, what we're learning. Um, my, my favorite option is the community group. Our community groups are going to be going through this um, throughout the series. So get into a community group where you can be with people who are studying the same things you're studying. They're, They're studying the same passages and talk about it. Because it's when you talk about it that I truly believe that you begin to internalize it and your life begins to be changed. And you hear from someone else and you're like, wow, I never thought of it that way. And maybe they change your life and maybe something you say helps change their life draws them closer into a relationship with God. So we really want you to be engaged with the Word of God and engaged in times of prayer. Um, that's through studying, through reading. Five minutes a day, five minutes in prayer. Take some time to journal out of that ten minutes. And then take some time every week to be talking about what God is showing you with someone else. Um, when we do this, I feel like uh, our lives are going to be changed. Our mission, vision statement here at River Rock Bible Church is all about life change. A couple weeks ago, we we went over our vision statement. I'm going to ask them to put it up here, and we can read it together. Just the vision statement. Let's read it together. To go into our community and give every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. All right, this is our vision, that we would see lives changed. But the reality is that as a church, we are only going to be as healthy as we are as individuals. We're only going to be as healthy as a church as we are individually. And we're only going to, to be able to move forward as a church when individually we're engaging in our walk with God. We're engaging in that reading time. We're engaging by discussing scriptures with others. And so I really want to encourage to us to do this because we really do believe in life change. We really want to see lives changed, and I believe that as we engage with the Word of God, especially through the book of Mark as we look at Jesus' life, how he lived, how he related to other people, it's going to change us. It's going to change how we live. Imagine, imagine what it will be like when our lives reflect Jesus Christ, when the light of Jesus Christ shines in our homes In our neighborhoods, at the stores where we shop, in our workplaces, and on the sports field. Imagine what it will be like when parents are praying for their children and the children are in the Word with their parents. Imagine what our schools will look like. Imagine the lives that we could change in this community as we engage people far from God with our lives having been changed. This is our vision to see lives changed. It takes every man, woman, and child to reach every man, woman, and child. And so I encourage you, I challenge you, let's do this together. Let's get into the Word of God. Five minutes a day in prayer, five minutes a day reading Scripture. Let's write some notes down to ourselves so we can remember how awesome God is and how He's working in our lives. And let's spend some time talking about it with each other and encouraging one another in the Word of God. Amen? All right. Uh, Well, let's move on to the book of Mark. We're starting this new series. And uh, before we jump into the book and into the text, I just want to give a little bit of background to the book of Mark. Mark is one of the first four books of the New Testament, which are known as the Gospels. Now, the Gospels are written and named, named after the people who wrote the book. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're all a little bit different, but the Gospels are the record of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Now, the word gospel literally means good news. And so, we have the good news of Jesus Christ recorded by four different people, four different men, uh, and, and one of those happens to be Mark. Now, does anybody know uh, what is the space between the Old Testament and the New Testament? 400 years, Uh, unless you're a modern day liver and it's about one page, right? Uh, You turn one page and it's Old Testament, now you're in the New Testament, but exactly right. For the people who were living it, the people who were living during that time, we just got through Christmas, and that whole Advent season is all about the anticipation of the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, and these people were waiting 400 years, they weren't hearing anything from God other than what he had already revealed. And then Jesus comes on the scene. The Son of God becomes man and is born. And then he lives his life, and you have these men who walked with him, who followed him, and they record the details of his life. And each one of them records it a little bit differently. Not that the facts are different, but the perspectives are different. Each one of the Gospels is written from a little bit different perspective, and we also know that the Gospels are written to different audiences. Luckily for us, the book of Mark was written to a distinctly Roman audience, which is very beneficial for us because they weren't Jewish. Now, there may be some here who have a Jewish heritage and are familiar with all the Jewish customs, but I'm willing to bet that most of us are Gentiles. Most of us are not Jewish, and we don't have that familiarity with all the background of the Jewish history and the Jewish customs. And so Mark is written to people just like you and just like me. And so as we go throughout Mark, often as you're reading through it, you're going to see these parenthetical statements. You're going to see little statements like, and the disciples washed their hands, or the disciples didn't do this, but they did do this. And these little parenthetical statements are there for the Romans to have some context about what is taking place and why this is such a big deal. So it's very beneficial for us to have all of that. Um, We don't know a whole lot about Mark, but we do know a couple things. And we can also, um, historians have done a lot of research, they have a lot of things that they think are are probably accurate about Mark. One of those is that most scholars believe that Mark was actually related in some way to Barnabas. Later in, in the book of Acts, we know that Mark, Barnabas, and Paul all go on a mission together, and a lot of scholars believe that he was some way related to Barnabas. We do know that Mark uh, was a first-hand witness to Jesus Christ, and his uh, not his entire ministry, but a big portion of his ministry. And so we know that his, um, his information comes from mainly Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples. And so he's got this relationship with Peter. In fact, some people think it may have even been Peter who led Mark to faith in Jesus Christ, because later in the New Testament, Peter says, My son, Mark, calls him my son, and there's a close relationship there. So Mark has got some experience. Not only that, uh, a lot of historians agree that it was in Mark's parents' house that the Last Supper was held. That the upper room, before they go out, the night that Jesus is betrayed, when they have that Last Supper, that that took place at Mark's mother's house. Her name was Mary. It was a very common name in that day. And uh, she was very wealthy. Uh, they also believe that it was at Mark's house that the disciples, after Jesus was crucified, that they went and they waited in Mark's upper room for the day of Pentecost, as Jesus told them to wait, right? So Mark is there. He's seeing a lot of this stuff firsthand. He's, he's got a lot of experience, and so he's a very, very reliable source, um, and we are— We are just blessed to have this first-hand knowledge from him watching Jesus, and what I love about Mark, as I said earlier, is that a lot of the Gospels tell the story from a slightly different perspective, and the great thing about Mark, why we've chosen to go through it, is that Mark, rather than focusing just on Jesus' teaching, Mark tends to emphasize Jesus' living, his actions, what he did, how he lived, where he went. Uh, and so, I, for, for me, that's extremely beneficial, but that also means that the book moves at a very, very fast pace. Um, over and over and over again, you're going to see this phrase, immediately, immediately, or then, uh, just then, they went. And it's very, very fast-paced. It's very, very exciting to be reading this. Uh, and, and Mark does not mince his words. He just kind of jumps right in. Mark one one says, in the the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he just jumps right in. There's no prelude, there's no genealogy, all that stuff that you skip when you read Matthew and Luke, right? So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. No, he just jumps in and says, here's the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And in case you're a Roman or a Gentile and you don't know what that word Christ, or some translations say the Messiah, in case you don't know what that word is, he spells it out. The Son of God. The Son of God. So already, he has just dived right into the story of Jesus. And in these, this first section, as we go throughout this first section, what you'll see is you, you have Jesus is introduced. Then John the Baptist is introduced. You have Jesus being baptized. You have the temptation of Jesus. You read about Jesus healing people, Jesus driving out demons, and Jesus calling his first disciples. All in the first 35 verses. If you were to flip over to Matthew to get that far in Jesus' life, you'd have to get through the first four chapters, right? So Mark is not wasting any time. He's like, hey, let's focus in on the man, the person of Jesus Christ. And he is going to focus in on his life and what he does. And one of the reasons why I'm so excited about this um, series and why we've chosen to go through the book of Mark is because I, I think it's an unfortunate fact that many people who claim to be Christians have spent very little time actually studying the life of Jesus, the one they claim to follow. And so I want us to spend the next number of weeks studying the life of Jesus, studying who he is and what he's done, and looking into what it means to be his follower. Can we do that together? So jump down with me to verse 16 of Mark chapter 1. And it says this, It says, after, uh, excuse me, 16, says, As he was passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, I think most of us, when we read this story, we think that Jesus is just kind of taking a stroll along the sea, maybe picking up some seashells, looking for those uh, sand dollars. You know, he's just having his morning walk, and he comes across these guys, and he says, you know what, these guys would look really good on my resume. I'm going to invite them to to come follow me. And he walks over and says, uh, almost like he's saying, hey, I'm going to Walmart, you want to come with me? He just says, hey, come follow me. And they're like, okay. You know, but that's not really what happened. Again, Mark kind of, skips over a bunch of stuff, if we look at the other Gospels, we know that there's much more behind this story. We know from the other Gospels um, that this was not the first time they had encountered Jesus. Uh, It's known that Andrew was actually a follower of John the Baptist. He was one of John the Baptist's followers, one of his disciples, which means that it's very likely that Simon, who Jesus would later name Peter, that Peter was also a follower of John the Baptist. And it's very likely that these two men were even present when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And they they heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so they'd heard John talk about the one who's coming after me is greater. They heard that voice from heaven. They would have been familiar with Jesus. They knew who he was. They knew what he was about. And so when Jesus comes and, and he says, follow me, This isn't the first time they've interacted. This isn't the first time they've ever seen him. In fact, if you go to Luke chapter 5, we have this amazing story, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament, where Jesus is teaching... And the people are pushing in on him. He's standing there by the edge of the sea, and he keeps backing up until he's standing in the water. He's got nowhere else to go. The crowd is continuing to push in, more and more people. They didn't have microphones back then, so you just had to yell. And so everyone's trying to get as close as they can to hear this man teach. And he sees some fishermen who are cleaning up from fishing overnight, and he goes over and he says, hey, take me out a little way in the water in your boat, and I'll teach from the water where everyone can hear me. And so it was Peter and Andrew whose boat he gets into, and they take him out, and he preaches. And then he says, hey, let's go to the deep water, and I want you to drop your nets in the water. And they are like, uh, I know you're a rabbi, you know some stuff, but you're not a fisherman. We've been fishing all night. So it's, you know, it's like noon. It's not the time to catch fish. We're going home, and Jesus is like, just do it. And they do it, and they catch this huge load of fish. They got to call for another boat. Their nets are breaking. The boats are full of fish. It's a great story. So these men have not only seen Jesus, they've heard his teaching firsthand, sitting there in the boat with Jesus while he's teaching. And he comes to them, and he says, follow me. He says, follow me. Now one thing that we're going to see, actually three things that we're going to see throughout the book of Mark, is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Three characteristics that are going to show up over and over again of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The first one is that a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. First and foremost, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Not just, yes, I trust in Jesus, but I am choosing to follow Jesus. A disciple is also someone who is being changed by Jesus being changed by Jesus. And then lastly, a disciple is someone who is engaged in the work of Jesus. Jesus gives a very simple invitation to Peter and Andrew there in verse 17. He says, follow me. Follow me. And that same invitation that he gives to Peter and Andrew is the same invitation that he extends to us today. That we would follow him. What I love about Jesus' invitation is that what I don't see here is an invitation to a church. I don't see an invitation to a set of beliefs. I don't see an invitation to a doctrine or a theology. I don't even see an invitation to a religion. What I see when Jesus says, follow me, is an invitation to relationship. Jesus invited these men into relationship, and Jesus is inviting you into relationship with him. The son of God who became man, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and on the third day rose again. That's the invitation. That's it. That's the invitation that we would be in relationship with him. Now these men, Peter and Andrew and the other disciples that he called, they knew his teaching. They were familiar with him as a rabbi. And one of the things when a, when a rabbi would come along and say, hey, come follow me, he was inviting them to come hear how I interpret scripture. Come hear how I understand God. Come watch how I live my life and see how I do things, see how I interact with people. And so they got a first hand glimpse into what it looked like for the Son of God to live among men. And he gives us the same invitation Come and follow me. Now, why on earth would these men choose to leave everything? It says, Mark says very clearly that they left everything immediately. They left their nets and followed him. That was some expensive gear. You leave your net, you leave your boat, and you just go and you follow this man. So why on earth would they choose to do that? I don't know exactly, but here's what I think. I think these were men who had lived long enough to realize that whatever way they had wasn't working out. They were men who realized that the way of the world that they have been living by and and even some of the other stuff that they may have tried wasn't working. And they were smart enough to see Jesus, to have heard his teaching, to know that it came with authority, to know that it came directly from God, and that he wasn't just, you know, offering self-help books. And they saw this, and they knew that there was something more, and so they decided to follow him. And I think some of us here this morning are in the exact same place. You're here this morning because you're smart enough to know that what the world has to offer is not enough. What the world has to offer, the way that you've tried to live, doesn't work. And Jesus says, follow me, and invites you into that relationship invites you in to see how he lives, how he relates to people, how he understands scripture. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not the man that I want to be. I'm not the husband that I want to be. And I'm not the father that I want to be. I've been a Christian for um, 27 years now. And I know that there's still room for improvement. And I know that the times that I am not in the Word of God, that I'm not connected to His people, and that I'm not spending time in prayer, I don't have a chance of becoming the man, the husband, the father, the pastor that God has called me to be. It's only when I get into His Word, when I spend that time in prayer, and when I'm engaging with His people, that I can even hope to be a sliver of what God has called me to be. Jesus' invitation, again, is not to religion, it's not to a church, it's to a relationship. And when we're living out that relationship with Jesus Christ, things change. Our life is changed. As we dive into this story over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to see how Jesus lived. And to me, that is the biggest challenge for how I should live, that I would orient my entire life around the way Jesus lived his life, that I would strive to do those things. And, and there are going to be times, let's be honest, there are going to be times that we read about how Jesus lived, and it's going to be painful for us to recognize that we have changes in our own life to make. Can we just be honest about that and be upfront that it's not always going to be pleasant, but there are going to be times that we're going to be encouraged, and we're going to have fun with it. And so I encourage you, as Jesus offered, 2,000 years ago, he still offers today. Follow me. Maybe you've put your trust in Christ a long time ago. That invitation is still there for you to follow me. Jesus has so much more for you than that you would just say, I'm going to heaven and that's all I need. He wants a relationship with you, He wants you to know Him intimately and to be His follower. Now, most of us, when we think about following, when we hear that word, follow me, what comes to mind immediately? Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. Follow me on Twitter, right? You follow someone on Twitter. How hard is it to follow someone on Twitter? It's not really hard. Maybe you even followed someone by mistake. You accidentally clicked the follow button, and now you're following Kim Kardashian without even knowing it. Uh, It's not very hard to follow someone on Twitter, right? You just click the button. Well, let me tell you this, if you're here this morning and you have not begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, if that is not something you have done, there's never been a time in your life when you say, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ and Christ alone is my savior. Uh, it's almost as easy as, it's, in fact, I'd say it's even easier than following someone on Twitter to start that relationship. All you have to do is say, I'm trusting in Christ alone. I recognize that I've messed up, my way's not working. I see that Jesus has a better way. I see that Jesus' way is not only better, but it's more powerful, more meaningful. And I'm putting my trust, my hope, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that he died for my sins and rose from the dead. That's what I'm trusting in. And that's the very beginning of the relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you have not done that, you have not begun that relationship, I encourage you to do that this morning. We're going to take some time here in a few minutes, um, and we're going to give you a chance to just respond and reflect to what God is showing you this morning, and I would encourage you to take some time and evaluate, have I answered that question? Have I answered Jesus' invitation yet? His invitation is to follow me. Have I said yes or no? What's my answer? What's my answer to that? He's inviting me into relationship with him through faith. What's my answer to that? Because it's not until you begin that relationship with faith that that, that I truly believe you can then come and follow Jesus and get the most out of that relationship. It starts simply by saying, I trust in Jesus Christ in Christ alone as my Savior. And from there, we follow him. As we follow him, our lives are changed. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you that your invitation to the disciples those thousand years ago to follow me is the same invitation that you extend to us today. And it's not an invitation to a church or a religion, but it's an invitation to a relationship with you, the Son of God, who lived a sinless life and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. I pray that Those of us here who have trusted your son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior, as we leave here this morning, we would be challenged to dive into your word and to understand more of what it means to follow you. And I pray for those who have yet to put their trust in Jesus Christ that they would not leave here without answering the question, am I trusting in Christ, yes or no? What is my response to Jesus' invitation to begin a relationship with him and to follow him? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.